0: You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Amen. Have a seat. Good morning. How are we doing? I'm going to need a little more energy from you, right? This is the holiday 11 o'clock crowd, but I'm excited to be here. Hopefully you are. Um, If you have a Bible, will you turn with me? Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. That's where we're gonna be this morning. If you don't have one with you, uh, there's some on the way in. You feel free to get up and go grab one of those or you can turn it on your phone or whatever it is. As you're turning there, let me kind of set up where we're gonna go today and then also kind of how we're gonna spend our summer kicking off a new series today. And so here's kind of how I want us to frame it up. Have you ever thought that you knew the words to a song? Um, Like you're just going, that's my go-to song. I've known this song for years. I've been singing it for as long as I can remember. And then you, like something happens and you find out, man, I, I got the lyrics wrong, I don't even, you know, you mishear it or you just thought you got it figured out anyways. Um, a few years ago, uh, Imagine Dragons had a song called Radioactive, um, and I don't know anything about that song except for the part that says, Radioactive, radio, any Imagine Dragons fans in here? I'm a terrible singer, so I'm gonna spare you that, but um, so when that song came out, they played on the radio all the time. And um, I got permission from my wife to share this, but she, she would hear it, it would get stuck in her head and she would be humming around the house, you know. And instead of radioactive, she'd be like, ready to rock this, ready to rock this. And I'm like, you know, those aren't the words, right? That's not it. And she's like, I don't care. It sounds better. I don't even know what radioactive is. I'm singing it this way. I'm like, okay, fine. Um, some battles you win and others you just, i do not even want to fight it. You know what I mean? It's not worth it. Just keep singing it wrong if you want to. Um, the one that stands out for me is, Alabama's 1989 classic, High Cotton. Anybody? Just Jay. Okay, Uh, that was what I expected, okay? People don't know this song. Um, And I get, this is me as one of your pastors being fully transparent in front of you. And I know you're gonna have all these assumptions and stereotypes going through your head now because this is the song that comes to my mind. But so I remember being five or six years old, laying on the floor of my bedroom, listening to High Cotton on repeat um, on a cassette tape which means that I, I couldn't just hit a button and repeat it. Like I had to rewind it and then play it again. And I just was like, just, I love this song. Like I don't know what it was about it. But anyways, you don't know, uh, the lyrics go like this. We were walking in high cotton. Old times, they are not forgotten. Those fertile fields are never far away, okay? My five or six year old self thought we, I was singing, those furry fields are never far away, okay? And you're like, well, what's the big deal? Cotton's kind of furry. It is a little bit. Um, The difference is uh, the word furry and the word fertile aren't the same at all, okay? And so we should not use them interchangeably. Like we should definitely not communicate to a woman that she's furry, all right? But it might be uh, fair to say that she's fertile. Um, Anyways, the the point that I want to make today is words matter. Words matter, okay? So sometimes we get the words wrong altogether, but other times we know what the words are. We just don't know what they mean. And so where I wanna spend our time today is in really the next several weeks is we wanna make sure that we got the words right and we wanna make sure we know what they mean. And so we're starting a sermon series today that we're calling Be the Church. And if you've been a part of our church for any length of time, you know that we say this every week. We're gonna say it today because words matter. I just want you to know what they mean. So we say at the end of our gathering, we sing our last song, we open the word of God together and then we, as we're sent out of this place, as the church, we say, go and be the church. And so what does that mean, right? I wanna drill down into that idea today. What does it mean to be the church? So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I sent out a survey and I wanted to get some information, some input back from you guys and about 150 of you filled it out, which I'm incredibly thankful for. Uh, I did not expect that many, but thank you for taking the time to do that. Our goal in that was to get some input back from you on this. And so if you didn't know, the questions in that survey really were just two categories. And the first one was just, hey, what does it mean to be the church or what do you think it means? And then the second category had to do with discipleship and what does it mean to be a disciple and that kind of thing. And so again, I wanted to get input from you guys because I have some assumptions about how you would answer those questions, um, but I didn't wanna shape this series because we knew the series was coming. I didn't wanna shape the series around assumptions I had. We wanted to shape the series about actually how, what you believed, right? So this could be helpful for you in clarifying this reality of what it means to be the church. So we're gonna start our time with just, I'm gonna give you a definition of what it means to be the church. This is one we've used before, and this will be kind of a, a foundation for us for the rest of this series, and we're gonna actually redefine it a little bit, reclarify it today. But this is the definition for what does it mean to be the church. We be who God created you to be and do what God created you to do. And so I'm gonna clarify what that means in a minute, but the biggest thing that I noticed And the answers to the survey and this definition that we've used before is that we have a tendency to skip over the be and to jump with the do, to start out with the do. So we want to skip over the be who God created you to be part and start with do what God created you to do. And um, so, for example, most of the answers to the questions were something like this. Be the church means I should live missionally. It means that I should be loving my neighbor or be taking part in evangelism, things like that. But basically, we should live an other-centered life. It's kind of this missional idea. And don't get me wrong, it does include that. If we're gonna be the church, it will, we will be loving our neighbor. We should be sharing the gospel. We should live other-centered lives. But, it, but what I wanna make the point today is that it just that's not all it means to be the church. We don't just start with the do. We have to start with the be. And so I want us to see this in The Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. I wanna read this for us and I'd like for you to follow along. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So, what we just read was the last four, go- four verses in Matthew's gospel, and I just gave it away. But this is not in the scriptures, but it's commonly referred to as what? The Great Commission. That's right, you gotta do better. We're gonna be doing a lot of this today. Um, so, for, con- for context, when we get to chapter 16, or verse 16 to chapter 28, Jesus had already been arrested. He's already been put on trial. He's already been beaten and then wrongly convicted and crucified for sins that he didn't commit. And then after spending six hours nailed to the cross, pushing up on the nails to breathe, just just fighting for his life, the Bible says that Jesus cries out with a loud voice and he yields his spirit. And at that moment in, in history of time, the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world died. And then his body is brought down off the cross and he's placed in a tomb. And the Bible says a giant stone is rolled in front of the tomb. And as Christians, we call that day Good Friday. And we call it Good Friday because of what happens on Sunday. And so a few women, a group of women who were some of Jesus's closest followers, they were on their way on Sunday to the tomb to pay their respects. And the Bible says as they're approaching the tomb, there's a great earthquake. The, the literal language, little translation of that is a severe shaking. And so while everything around them is shaking, um, the Bible says an angel of the Lord descends and he's sitting on the stone and his appearance is said to be like lightning. And this angel's appearing is so awe-inspiring that the men who were guarding Jesus' tomb actually pass out. The Bible says they were as dead men. And so here's Mary and Mary Magdalene and a few others and they're standing there seeing this angel, seeing these men pass out and they're wondering what is happening? And then I want you to see what the angel says to them. Verse five of Matthew 28. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He has risen as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then quickly go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he's going before you to Galilee and there you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And so I share all that background and I read those verses to you for two reasons. Firstly, this is what we believe as Christians. Those facts, this is what we believe as Christians. We believe Jesus really was the son of God. the, The angel said, as he said, he's not here. This is what we believe, that he came, he died a horrific death, and then he rose again. The perfect son of God willingly laid down his life. He took our place to invite us into the place that only he deserved to be, a place where we are reconciled to God the Father as we just sang as children. This is what we believe as Christians, that Jesus died and he rose again in victory over sin and death. And this is important. The facts are important. Again, words matter, right? It wasn't that Jesus, they faked his death. He actually died. It wasn't that they came, he died and they came and took his body away. No, he actually rose. Again, this is what we believe as Christians. And the second reason I share this with you is because that is the context of the rest of chapter 28. A resurrected Jesus. And we said before, words matter. How much more do words matter when they come out of the mouth of the resurrected Son of God? And what's he say to him? We just read it the Great Commission, right? Jesus gathers his disciples. And he says to them, go and make disciples. So if we wanna redefine this passage or rather redefine what does it mean to be the church from this passage, you could say it this way, be a disciple and make disciples. That's a way to redefine what does it mean to be the church. And the word disciple, it just means a follower or a learner, right? It's the idea of an apprentice. And so it's someone who spends time with someone else with the direct intent of learning how they live their life in order to replicate that life in themselves. I need to clarify here, you need to know a disciple is not a special subset of Christian. It's not a description of, of a Christian who's really serious about following Jesus. It is synonymous with Christianity. And so in Matthew 28, we have the resurrected Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again, overcoming sin and death. And he gathers his disciples to himself and he says to them, Go and make disciples. So maybe an easier way for us to think about this, be the church, be a disciple, make a disciple, is this, be a follower of Jesus and make followers of Jesus or help each other follow Jesus. So for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to look at this passage, this great commission, and see what we can learn about being a disciple. What can we learn about following Jesus and helping each other follow Jesus? This is what it means to be the church. And so I want us to see this. Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So remember, they hear from these women who were friends of Jesus and friends of theirs, and they hear that they had seen him, they had worshiped him, and they had responded in that way. Then the the women tell the disciples, he's alive. And he said, for me to tell you to go to Galilee and he's gonna meet you there. And so they go, which praise God, right? They go there, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. So the Bible says that out of the 11 men who were there witnessing with their own eyes, the resurrected King Jesus, they worshiped him, which you expect, but some doubted. And again, who are we talking about here? We're talking about these 11 men. They weren't just random skeptics, right? These are his followers. These are Jesus's guys. These are the guys who were with him when he took a few pieces of bread and fish and he fed thousands of people and there were baskets left over. These are the guys who were with him when, when and they saw him raise Lazarus from the dead and they're weeping and he says, Lazarus come out and he does. These are the guys who were with him when, when there was a storm and they were on the sea and they were afraid for their lives so they go and wake him up. There's a hurricane essentially and Jesus says, stop and it listens. These are the guys who were with him and they saw him heal diseases and cast out demons. They saw him walk on water. But a few days earlier, they saw him breathe what they thought was his last breath. And so now they're seeing them with their own eyes and a group of them worship, but some doubted. And the question we have to answer is, how could they possibly doubt in that moment? How could they doubt? What else could Jesus have done to convince them that he is who he said he was? Not only had they been with him for all the miracles, but now they're witnessing him with their own eyes, their friend, who they, they said they were, was the Messiah, the one who they had banked everything they had on. And now they're going, ah, I don't know. They worship, but some doubted, meaning the doubters were unable to worship because they were trying to connect the dots in their mind. The doubters were unable to offer Jesus what he deserved from them because they're trying to figure it out, trying to put the pieces together. And they're thinking, we just saw the man die. There's no way, Right? They're thinking, we saw him beaten to within an inch of his life and hung on a cross for six hours. And we saw them run a spear up under his side just to make sure he hadn't passed out. And we saw him take him down and put him in a tomb. There's no way, how could this be? How could he be here with us? They weren't able to worship because some of them doubted. And here's what I want you to see. Verse 18 says this. And Jesus came and said to them, And we're gonna talk about what he said here in a minute, but I want you to see about being disciples is this. He didn't just come and say to the ones who were worshiping him. He didn't send away the doubters and then commission the really faithful ones. It says they worshiped and some doubted, but then Jesus came to them. Jesus moves toward his disciples, the ones who are filled with faith and the ones who are stuck in their doubt. He moves toward all of them. And as we said earlier, being the church means we should be who God created us to be and do what he created us to do. And our tendency is to skip to the do, right? What we just saw is that being a disciple isn't about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. That's where discipleship starts. It doesn't start with something we do. It starts with something Jesus did, that he gives his life for us before he asks us to give our life to him. He invites us to come and follow him as his disciples, to trust that what he has for us and where he will lead us is what is best for us. 1 John 4, 19 says that we love, we as his disciples and his followers, we live other-centered, loving lives, loving God and loving neighbor. We love, why? Because he first loved us. And so there's a way for us to live our lives as followers of Jesus. I'm not saying there's no do component, there is. But I'm saying we can't skip over the be to get to the do. There is a do component, but discipleship or following Jesus does not start with what we do, it starts with what Jesus did. So back to Matthew 28. Jesus sends uh, or doesn't send his disciples away, but instead he moves toward them, all of them, the doubters and the, the ones who are worshiping, which shows us something else about being a disciple. It shows us that Jesus does not expect you to be perfect. Jesus does not expect you to be perfect. And I say that twice because I think it's easy right now for you to go, yeah, yeah, I know that song. I've been singing that song for years. He just doesn't expect me to be perfect, but I don't think you know what those words mean. And the reason why you, I think you get stuck there is because so do I. You wanna be used by God and you wanna follow Jesus with your life and everything is fine for you and you feel great between you and God as long as you're hitting your spots. But then what happens when you mess up? You get stuck, right? In this guilt, this place of feeling shame and you run from God until you can do enough good things to bring back to him and feel good enough to say, hey God, look at what I've done. I know I messed up, but look at what I've done. And what we see in the scriptures here is that Jesus doesn't expect us to be perfect. So why are we doing that? Or we throw in the towel altogether because we feel too far gone. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. In fact, your sin, past and present, The sin in your heart this moment, the things you did yesterday, your sin, past and present, does not disqualify you from following him. Now it doesn't mean that our sin will not have consequences because it absolutely will. What it does mean is that Jesus will move towards you in your sin. And that isn't to make you feel guilty about it. He moves towards his disciples. He moves towards us in our failures and our shortcomings. And again, it's not to make us feel guilty about it. I heard a pastor say a couple weeks ago, this is a guy named Ray Ortland. He's one of my favorite guys to listen to. If you like to listen to sermons, look him up. Um, He said this. What we see in the Bible is not formidable leaders proving their amazingness. What we see is ordinary followers staking their future on the amazingness of their God. That's good news for us this morning. That we don't have to be extraordinary, that what we see in the scriptures, the people, the, God calls to himself, the people he uses, ordinary followers who aren't amazing, but who know someone who is. Being a disciple doesn't start with what we do, it starts with what Jesus did. He does not expect us to be perfect. He knows we're not, and still he invites us to follow him. Look at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So when you read this, it seems like there are four action items in the text, right? You you see it, you see, he says, go. He says, make disciples, he says, baptize them and he says, teach. But what's happening in the original language is you have one imperative or one command and you have three participles or three things that describe or define the command. And the command from Jesus, the resurrected Jesus to his disciples here is to make disciples. His command to his followers is to help each other follow me. And then he's gonna describe that in three ways. He says, go and baptize and teach. And what's interesting is before he even gets to the command, what's he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so words matter. So what does Jesus mean? He doesn't say authority has been given to me. He doesn't say I'm important, I'm powerful, you should listen. He says, doesn't just say all authority is given to me. He says all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And this reminds me of what Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 16. He says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth Visible and invisible, right? Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created where? Through Jesus, by Jesus, and they were created for him. Meaning everything, everything that you can see or hear or touch or taste was created by him and for him. And it's not just those things, the things you can see, not just the visible ones, it's the invisible ones too, which means that's everything from the down to the sub-microscopic level all the way to the expanse of the universe and everywhere in between. Those things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. And Paul goes on to say, rulers and authorities, right? Even the the powerful people on the planet that have existed and will exist, all of them were uh, were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus says over those things here in the Great Commission, I have authority over it all and it reports to me go therefore. That's the basis of the command that he gives us from I have all authority, go therefore. And again, it seems like the emphasis is on the go, but the command of the passage is make disciples. And again, we cannot um, skip the be to get to the do, which means you can't make disciples if you aren't first being a disciple. So the way I say that is this, it's impossible for you to live a life for Jesus if you are not living a life with Jesus. You live a life with him. Are you concerned at all when you're following a Jesus instead of just helping other people follow? Are you concerned with going, I, I want to be with them. What's the last time you spent time intentionally said, I'm gonna be with him? So he says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, be a disciple and make disciples, right? Therefore, follow me and help each other follow me. So not only is this the purpose of the church, not only is this what it means to be the church, this is kind of on an individual level, this is our purpose. Our purpose is to be a disciple and make disciples. And let me clarify here. This is what I mean. Before I am a husband or a father or a pastor, I am a follower of Jesus who's been commissioned by the one with all authority in heaven and on earth to go and make disciples. I'm a follower of Jesus first, who've been commissioned by God to go and make disciples. So I am a follower of Jesus who is a husband to my wife. I'm a follower of Jesus who is a parent to my children. I'm a follower of Jesus who serves as a pastor at this church. That's my purpose. The individual, the, the overarching why in my life is I, am, uh, I exist to follow Jesus and to help other people follow Jesus. And again, that starts in my home and it works its way out and the same thing is true for you. That's not just applies to me because I'm a professional or I'm in vocational ministry, right? You are firstly, however you would describe yourself, good or bad, however you would make a list, you are firstly a follower of Jesus, commissioned by the one with all authority in heaven and on earth to go and make disciples. In your marriage, if you're married, in your parenting, if you are a parent with your roommates, if you have them, in your families, right? In your vocation, in your hobbies, and on and on and on, I could go. Your purpose is ultimately to follow Jesus and help the people around you follow him. And the point I'm trying to make ultimately is this. Jesus does not wanna be part of our lives all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, go therefore, he says, all of it reports to me. You were created by me and for me and I gave my life for you so that you could respond as a follower of Jesus. He doesn't wanna be part of our lives. He's not some poor puny savior who's looking for anyone who'll accept him. He is the Lord and the King of the universe who rightly deserves every single one of our praise. He doesn't wanna be part of our lives. And yet so many of us compartmentalize our lives and we think about it that way. Even those of us who are serious about following Jesus, we kind of do things like this. Okay, how much time can I make this week for Jesus in my life? And that's those of us who are killing it. I'm gonna carve some time out for Jesus. I'm gonna read my Bible every day. I'm gonna go to church here. I'm gonna try to be kind to people. I'm gonna do these things. That's, if we're really going after it, that's the things we do. And we wonder why we're always so bored or frustrated it feels like life doesn't satisfy us the way we think it should because we got our purpose wrong. You're not firstly a financial planner. That's not your purpose. You're not a husband or a father. You are a follower of Jesus, commissioned by God to follow Jesus and help other people do the same in your financial planning with your clients, in the people with your office, and in your home, and on and on we can go, right? So Jesus commissions his followers to make disciples. And then he says, go and baptize and teach. And so I just wanna spend a few minutes on each of these. So he says, go. This means that as followers of Jesus, we are a sent people. John uh, chapter 20 in John's gospel is he's describing this interaction between the resurrected Jesus and his disciples. His disciples are in a room and they're afraid because their friend who they just banked their life on died, was killed by the Romans on a cross. And so they're terrified. They don't know what to do. They're hiding in a room. And John says that Jesus shows up with them and he says to them, peace be with you as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And that is a a crazy statement. That means to the exact degree that God the Father purposed and sent Jesus with intentionality into the world to take away the sins of the world, to that exact degree, Jesus says, I am sending you into the world. He's sending us. He's sending his church into the world. Jesus' followers are sent people And this doesn't just start with the commissioning of the disciples. This is the story of all of scripture. We saw this in the spring as we walked through Genesis, the story of God picking a man named Abraham and his family and saying, I'm going to bless you so that you might be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. That promise comes to fulfillment in Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus continues his ministry on earth through his church, through commissioning his disciples. This is who we are, blessed by God to be a blessing. And the way I like to say it is this, as followers of Jesus, we are personally and individually convinced of God's love for us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we believe in our heart and know in our minds, we're convinced that God loves us and then we are compelled by that love to go and share it with the people around us. That's the not skipping the B before we get to the do. I'm convinced that I belong to God as a child and so I'm compelled by that reality to invite other people into that. Convinced and compelled. Followers of Jesus are a sent people. He says, go and make disciples of who? All nations. All nations doing really bad at this. All nations. So where our minds immediately go to that is we think, okay, all nations. Well, then I need to buy a plane ticket. I need to sign up for a mission trip if we can ever do that kind of thing again, right? I need to be an international missionary. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. In fact, if you feel that right now, If you're looking around at at your place and your purpose in this world and this community, and you're saying, man, I think maybe God wants me to go to South America or he wants me to move to Africa or to Asia or to Southeast Asia or wherever it is, if you're feeling that, that might just be the Holy Spirit. And we would love to help you with that, love to walk with you through that and even try to help fund you to get you there, right? If you're feeling that, that might be the Holy Spirit. But what I want you to see in this is when Jesus says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, they were in Galilee. They were on top of a hill on the other side of the planet, which means that we are a part of the nations he was talking about. So we're so myopic, especially in this American culture. We think it's about about us, right? Even our lives, we think that about America. This is where it starts. No, we're a part of the nations. It means that you and I heard the gospel because men and women before us were commissioned by Jesus to go and they were faithful to do it. It starts in Jerusalem and then it moves to Judea and Samaria and then it works its way into Asia in Europe, and then decade after decade, year after year, two millennia of people being faithful to proclaim the good news of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit moving and working is transforming people's lives. And because of that, we're in this room today. We are a part of something so big with a God so powerful who loves you more than you will ever know. And he says, go, be the church. So in this passage, again, we're part of the nations he's talking about. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be involved in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? We should. It just means it starts in our neighborhood, it starts in our home, and then it works out to the nations. And so all of us are commissioned by Jesus to go. What I want you to see in this is it's not just international missionaries that this verse applies to. Every single one of us, every disciple, follower of Jesus is commissioned by Jesus to go. And so the question that you need to answer this morning is where has he called you to go? Where is Jesus calling you to go? Again, I think for all of us, it starts in our home and it rolls out from there. It starts in our, in our home, in our neighborhood, and it rolls out to the nations, and the same thing is true for you. It starts in your home if you're a parent, if you're a husband or a spouse. It starts in your home with your family or with your roommates, and it rolls out to the people in your apartment complex or on your street or in your neighborhood or wherever it might be. We're commissioned by God as a follower of Jesus, compelled by his love to take that love to the world around us. So, To make disciples, we go, but we also baptize, right? And this one could be a sermon in itself. And as we typically do, I'm going far longer in the 11 o'clock service, so I'm going to try to keep this tight. But um, there's one thing in particular I want you to see in this. Like we said earlier, we have a tendency to skip past the bee and we move to the do. And so when it comes to baptism, we think, okay, well, I need to be baptized. I need to get in the water in front of the church and I need to you know, be dunked. And then if, I, if I've been baptized and I think, well, I'm good there, I check that box off the list and maybe if I'm thinking about making disciples, baptized, I need to say, hey, you've been baptized? Well, you should. We got a class coming, that kind of thing. That's where we go to. We think of the do and I think each of those misses the point. We believe the scriptures teach that baptism is a public declaration, a public profession of an internal reality of your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and because of that, you've been welcomed into the family of God, adopted as a son or a daughter. Baptism is a public profession of that internal reality, right? It's, it's symbolic, not salvific. It, it's a symbol of something God's done for you. It's not you, con, uh, you contributing to your salvation in any way. And so Jesus says, make disciples by baptizing them into what? Into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is, he's talking about adoption. He's talking about belonging to the family of God, God welcoming us into his family by giving us his name. And so as followers of Jesus, this means we should be baptized into this. This word baptized in the original language, it means to immerse or to submerge. And I like that imagery actually, when you take it out of the idea of, obviously it makes sense being baptized into the water, but I love the idea of, of after that. So as believers in Jesus, we get baptized once and we, we stand in the water and what do we say? I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And God has given me the farthest thing from what I deserve. I deserve to be pushed out. I deserve uh, eternity separated from God in wrath, but instead he's brought me to him by giving me his son. That's our, we say in our baptism and we are baptized into that, but then every single day after that, we sink ourselves into the truth of that reality. We immerse ourselves in the good news of the gospel every single day and remember that I belong to God as a child, I was blind, but now I see. And the spirit convinces us that we're loved by God, that we're compelled as disciple makers now to invite other people into that. And so the command here to make disciples by baptizing them is not first and foremost about, hey, we need to get as many people as we can into the water. It's about an invitation to belong to the God of the universe through Jesus. That's what he's saying. So we go and we baptize and then we teach. But firstly, we need to know baptism is about doing for God. It is about belonging to him. And now we teach. Verse 20 says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. So he's not just talking about learning the things that Jesus said, it's not just teach, it's teach to observe, which means that we obey. So Jesus is talking about obedience. What he's talking about is the transformed life. So the goal isn't just to know what Jesus said, it's about your life being transformed by that reality. Again, so convinced of God's love that we're compelled to live the way he lived. What's interesting is in the book of Acts, um, you get to Acts 13 before anyone uses the word Christian, before that they're just called the way. So Paul calls for letters to go persecute, or Saul then, Paul calls for letters to go persecute those who lived according to the way. What way? The way Jesus lived. That's what our lives are, right? Followers of Jesus who seek to live the way he lived, compelled by his love, convinced by it, rather, compelled by it. Right, so he says, teach them to observe it all. Everything he commanded, right? And if that doesn't seem hard enough, Notice we we can't make disciples without first being disciples. So it's not just somebody else. We're not just talking about other people. Hey, go teach them to observe it all, but you you get a pass because you don't have to be perfect. No, he's talking about us as well. And what I want you to see this is how it relates to us following Jesus and to helping other people follow Jesus. We said earlier, Jesus doesn't expect us to be perfect, but now he says, teach them to observe it all. And here's what I want you to see in that. It means that this process is going to be slow. It's not gonna be quick. Right, being a disciple isn't a class. You don't just go through one of our classes and you go, yep, now I'm a disciple. The word disciple, again, is synonymous with Jesus' follower, whether you're mature or not. I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm growing. It's a lifelong process of learning to follow him. It's not quick, it's not a class. You don't just arrive one day. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 3. It says, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. And so the goal here isn't just to know what Jesus taught. The goal is to transform life. And Paul says it's not gonna be a quick process. He says, one degree of glory to the next. As we behold the glory, the beauty of Jesus, and we see him and we're convinced of his love for us, we're compelled by that love. It changes our life from the inside out. How? One degree of glory to the next. Think about that in terms of a football game. What if you watched a football game that every single time it was, we moved the ball one yard, one more yard, one more yard, punt. One yard, like... That is not an exciting game, is it? Anybody wanna sign up for that, pay a ticket for that? No, one degree of glory isn't exciting. We like fast. Have you ever pulled your phone out and you're like flipping through, you know, doing whatever you're doing, waiting on something, and then you, oh, there's an interesting article. You click it, it takes too long to load. Forget it, put your phone away. Like We want everything to be fast, and yet here we go. Paul says the transformation, the process of following Jesus is not quick. It's slow, it's one degree at a time, and it comes from beholding Jesus. Seeing his beauty, becoming convinced of the fact that he actually is who he says he is and he actually loves you as much as he says he does. We're convinced of that and we're compelled by it. That's not a quick process. Again, it comes from beholding. Not you beheld once when you were 12 at summer camp. Lifelong process, a lifetime of looking to Jesus and learning from him. As Jesus followers, we are committing ourselves to be lifetime learners, This means if we're gonna follow Jesus with our lives and we're never done learning, right? Lifetime learners. So at CBC, we have five, what we call core values, okay? And we call them our specs. And, And that's not like some clever way of saying, hey, this is our specs. This is the way that we see the world as disciples of Jesus. It's just an acronym, all right? Here's a slide we'll put up here for you. Our specs, our core values are scripture, prayer, engaging the culture, community, and stewardship. And so what these are, these are five kind of markers of a disciple of Jesus, five areas where we think we should be lifetime learners in, consistently learning to follow Jesus in the area of the scriptures and the prayer and engaging the culture and stewardship. And each of these, we never arrive. You never know all you're gonna know from the scriptures. You never glean all you're gonna glean from time in prayer or engaging the culture and that kind of thing. These are five things that we're saying we should be actively seeking to grow in. And so for the rest of the series, We're gonna spend time chipping away at each of these and just saying, man, what role should the scriptures play in my life as I'm following Jesus? How do I read them? How do I learn from them? What role should the scriptures play in in my life as I'm helping other people follow Jesus? As we wanna be the church, it's the scripture and the prayer, and we're gonna filter each of those through that lens. But for today, what I want you to see about these is that being a disciple or discipleship, it cannot be reduced to any one of those. That discipleship is actually far wider than we think. Again, teach them to observe all that I've commanded means the goal is a transformed life. The goal is being the church, is us committing to one another and saying, hey, I'm gonna follow Jesus here and I'm gonna help you follow Jesus here. And this is why church membership is, is we hold it in such high regard, so important to us, because we need to know who, who's in, that's so why we did the membership renewal back at the beginning of the year. Who has committed and put their yes down? It doesn't mean that if you're not a member, you can't see, but we're inviting you to come in because Jesus said, go and make disciples. The local church is crucial to that, but we do it together. So we wanna be the church. And in order for that to happen, we need to widen our understanding of discipleship, which means this, and I'll wrap us up. It's not just you meeting for coffee every once in a while. That was some of the answers I got. I get it, man. What's a a time that you've been involved in discipleship? When I was in high school, I met with a guy at Starbucks and we read through a book together. That fits into the category of discipleship. Discipleship's not even, it can't be reduced to just older, more mature Christians teaching and pouring what they know into younger and less mature Christians, although that would be considered discipleship. That's just not all discipleship is, right? We need to spend some time on this and we will the next five weeks. And here's how I wanna encourage you this morning though, as we wrap up. Maybe you're thinking, man, I don't have anything to offer someone else. Like, okay, Jesus says, be a disciple, follow him. I'll do my best at that, but I can't help other people because well, I'm struggling. Maybe you're there. Maybe it's because you've never been serious about following Jesus or because you're in a season of your life right now that is difficult or just challenging. And maybe you're a young mom, right? And you think, man, if I were to help someone follow, if I were to invite people into my life, all they would see is how to keep a messy house, how to lose your patience with your kids and yell at them. And we can kind of chuckle about that, but we could all make excuses about, man, I'm gonna get to that eventually, right? I'm gonna get to that eventually. Man, maybe when I get married, then I'll be uh, active in making disciples. Or maybe when the work thing slows down or maybe when like eventually I'm gonna help people follow Jesus. The problem is Jesus doesn't make room in the great commission for eventually. And he calls all of us now, be a disciple, follow me. The best you can, you don't have to be perfect, but follow me and along the way, help each other follow Jesus, which yes, will be reading the Bible together, maybe over coffee, maybe it's reading a book, maybe it's just going, hey, can I help you with blank or will you want to come and spend time with me here or whatever, and again, we'll talk about this more, this series, but I wanna get us back to where we started. And I hope you believe me when I say this. Jesus doesn't expect you to be perfect. In fact, he knows you're not which means that he doesn't need you to be amazing at being a disciple in order to use you to make disciples. And we need to hear that because again, that's a song we think we know, but I don't know that we know what it means. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse nine says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So, from what I can tell, in that, that means that God actually wants to use not just your successes to point people to Jesus, but also your failures. Because his power is made perfect in weakness. And that means, as followers of Jesus, friends, we get to lead the way in confession and repentance. We get to be the people, as followers of Jesus, who quit pretending that we're fine. We get to be the people. We quit pretending that we're perfect and we can be honest about our failures and our shortcomings because as we said before, what we see in the Bible is not formidable leaders proving their amazingness. What we see are ordinary followers staking their future on the amazingness of God. Ordinary followers. You don't have to be gifted in order to be used by God. You don't have to be special. So he says, I wish I had more time for this, but in verse 20, Jesus says, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What he's talking about here is the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is if you're a believer in Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit is with you always. The Spirit of God is the power, the same power that resurrected Jesus from dead is the power at work within us. It's what empowers us to follow Jesus. It's what empowers us to go, even though in right now, when I don't know what's best for me, you know what's best for me and so I'm going the way you wanna go. The Spirit of God empowers us to follow Jesus and the Spirit of God is the one who does the work of empowering us to help other people follow Jesus. And he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And he ends with saying, I'm with you always, therefore go. Go with the authority and the power of God to make disciples and you baptize them into the name and you remember for yourself, I belong to God. I am who you say I am. And you invite other people into this. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We teach them to observe all that we've commanded, meaning all he's commanded, meaning that we're lifetime learners. Every single day we wake up and go, God, I'm going where you go today. I'm going where you lead me. Jesus, where do you want me to go? He commissions his disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit to go and be the church, to give everything they have to follow after him and to help other people follow after him. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing and respond. I'm gonna ask that you stand up with me and we just pray and ask God to help us, right? To, as we talked about, just the spirit of God might be the one who convinces us today, even even just a little bit, man, that you're loved by God in Christ. And we'd be compelled to go and share that love with the people around us. And so let me pray for us. I ask that you pray with me. Father, it is easy for us to make excuses. I could come up with a long list of why I don't deserve your love, but discipleship doesn't start with what I do. It starts with something you did. And so I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you'd help us in this moment to believe the gospel. We don't have to be perfect, you know we're not, and yet you've invited us to come to you, to follow you, to be used by you. And so I pray as we sing these songs and respond that we would believe that you are enough. What you have for us is what's best. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.